All right, hello and welcome, my friends, to Casual Nonsense. I am your host, Mark, and I am still here. If you could share this episode with at least one person today, just one is all we need, you could be saving the lives of dozens of ferrets across the world. All right, today, my guest is Scott Miller. Uh, He is a time management coach, a podcast host, and a former skydiving instructor. So join us today for some tips on how to stay on task, some advice for pursuing your passions, or maybe you just want to listen to some funny stories. Either way, you're in the right place, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Mr. Scott, man, what's up? Uh, Welcome to Casual Nonsense. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be fun. So we're joined with uh, Cousin Sean is sitting in today. What's up, buddy? How y'all doing? Cool. All right, so Scott, you got uh, an interesting background, which is uh, which is why I was, I'll say, reaching out to you, finding you. I don't remember where I started, and I I took some notes. But why don't you tell me first, like what? Tell me a little about yourself, and then I'll I'll fill in the details with what I what I remember. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, interesting background. I would say um, that's a pretty good description. I've had some unusual careers, uh, some unusual experiences. Um, you know, I was a skydiving instructor for 15 years, uh, left that world and worked at a wildlife sanctuary here in North Carolina that rescues tigers and other wild cats from uh, abusive situations or from other facilities that have to surrender them, like facilities that shut down. I did that for a few years. I happened to have a top 1% score on the LSAT, the law school admission test. So for about the past 10 years, I've been helping people prepare for for that, people who want to go to law school. So um, you you took the LSAT, but you didn't want to go to law school yourself. I had, no, I didn't go to law school. Um, it's I like teaching. I really like teaching. It's what I've always loved doing. It's what I've done, you know, for a career for most of my life. And uh, yeah, I found that like helping people prepare for the LSAT, teaching and tutoring was just really fun and lined up with what I like doing. So okay, yeah, I stuck with that. Like what like. I know a lot of people that like teaching. They don't go take the LSAT. <laughs> so uh, good for you. That's awesome. That you, so you would you say you know the law pretty well? Yeah, well, it's interesting. People people are surprised when I say that I'm not a lawyer and have never been to law school because they say, well, how do you help people with the LSAT? But So the LSAT is the admission test for law school. Okay. So if somebody's like getting ready to graduate college or they just graduated or they've been out working for a few years, they want to change careers – you would take the LSAT and that it's kind of like the SAT where like your score on the SAT can determine where you go to college. Well, the LSAT is kind of similar, except it's for law school. So because it's the admission test for law school, the people taking it have never been to law school. They don't know anything about the law and they don't expect you to know anything about the law. All right. So it's like it's testing skills that are considered important if you want to succeed in law school. So like your ability to read very carefully and be very literal in what you're reading um, and logic skills, like can you, like when somebody says an argument of like, you know, for example, a question might say something like, you know, they give you a little paragraph. They say, like the mayor of the city says we should build a parking garage downtown instead of a park because that'll bring more business to the downtown area. And like you analyze that and say, well, what's what would strengthen the mayor's argument? What would weaken the mayor's argument? Things like that. So it's testing logic. It's testing reading skills. Um, we, we call those lawyer tricks. In the, the <laughs> yeah, but some people call lawyer tricks. It tests time management too. Um, it's a really, it's kind of a brutal test. You have like thirty, well, you have like twenty-three to twenty-eight questions to answer in like thirty-five minutes, and they're really complicated questions. So there's a lot of pressure involved in taking the test itself. I'll bet um, it's a lot of work to prepare for the test. A lot of what I do is is kind of helping people prepare, helping people deal with the pressure. You know, the pressure that they're experiencing when they're studying and the pressure on the test itself. Okay. Lisa so. took the LSTAT. I don't remember how she did. I'll have to I'll have to ask her after this how she did because and I but I do remember that when she got out of there, she doesn't drink and she was basically like, I need a drink. So uh, <laughs> definitely a, a very stressful test. Lisa is Jean's wife, by the way. Yeah, so, so she's my wife, she's yep. a lawyer, yeah. Who is a lawyer. Yep. Oh, cool. So yeah. She did well enough on the LSAT to get into school. So we know that for sure. Yeah, yep. excellent. Yeah, I often like I tell my students don't really plan anything for like the day or two after you take the test because there's a good chance you're going to be wiped out. I like, bet, yeah. really just Mentally like just spent. Yeah. Drained. Uh, I know that you're doing the LSAT thing now. I do want to go back in a minute. But so so your main your main role right now is you are a time management coach. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a personal professional development coach. A lot of the work I do is in time management. Okay. So yeah, I, te- I, I, uh, I coach executives, entrepreneurs, um, a lot of students sometimes. Basically, anybody who wants to improve their time management abilities. 
I do a lot of work work with that. Okay. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I think I want to backtrack because I wanted to – one of the things, as I mentioned, they were interesting, right? Skydiving, mm-hmm. right? I've never gone. I've got a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how many – I think you said it before. I didn't write it down, but you've done – oh, I did write it down. 8,000 jumps. Is that right? About 8,000 jumps, yeah. Dang. That's yeah. awesome. Adventurous as a as a young man? Um. <laughs> It's really funny. Like I was not super adventurous. I was more of like a nerd when I was a kid. I mean, I played sports. You know, I, I played sports pretty much throughout my childhood. Um, you know, when I was really little, I played baseball one year, basketball one year, wrestled for a couple of years, played football one year. I was okay. never really good at sports, um, but just kind of consistent. My friends played, so I kind of like tagged along. Yeah. Um, but not really super adventurous. I was not the kid that was like, you know, building ramps in the street and jumping over them with a bike, you know, um, not the kid who was jumping off the roof, you know, playing Superman. I see. I was more of a, like, more of a nerd. Yeah, I was into the books and computers and stuff. Um, but I was always interested in flying, like, ever since I was super little. I, You know, you could give me one of those, you know, those little, like, balsa wood airplanes with a rubber band? Oh, I the, remember those. I, I would yeah. spend, like, all day playing with one of those. Or little plastic parachute guys, you, you throw know. throw it and do, like, a loop and then crash. Yeah. Or, yeah adjust the yeah. wings a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or little plastic parachute guys, right? You know, you just sit there and throw it up in the air and the parachute opens and it lands. Like, I would do that for hours. And, and like, it, really interested in science fiction too, but, like, the the spaceships, right? That was what was really cool for me it was all the scenes in, like, you know, the movies and shows and stuff where they're flying through space. So anything to do with flying, I was always interested in. Those paratroopers were my favorite uh, skee-ball toy. Like <laughs> To win. You need, to, like, 200 yeah. points and you get the yeah. parachute guy. Yeah, yeah, next up was the Atari for 200 points. <laughs> yeah, you'd want to get three or four to have them race. Like, just climb the same tree, drop them at the same time. Who there lands first? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's cool. So, I was look, what I thought was cool was uh, you mentioned you started uh, Flight One. Is that, mm-hmm. and that... And I looked that place up. That place looks like they're still going strong. Yeah. So, you were involved in creating that company? Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It's skydiving's funny because a lot of people, you know, there's some people who've done it. A lot of people have never done it. And there's kind of a little bit of background information that you have to give to like explain anything. So if you want to talk about flight one, I can give a little background on that. That might help like some of the people who never, never jumped out of an airplane. Well, what I'll do is I'll put the, I'll put the link in there and then they can, they can do research if they're interested. I know I, I didn't bring you here to talk about skydiving, although it's super cool. But mm-hmm. um, did you have any skydiving well, I mean, questions? Like you said, over uh, a little over 8,000 skydives. I mm-hmm. think you said 16-year career. So I calculated that real quick as like 200 dives a year. And you could do more than one in a day, but that seemed like mm-hmm. a lot every every year. So I started thinking like, well, was it all in one place? Was it like multiple states? Did he jump in other countries? Like, where, did you, where have you skydived? Yeah, I've done most of my jumping in Florida. Um, I was I lived in Florida for about 20 years. That's uh, that's where I started skydiving, where I did most of my jumps. Um, most of my jumps were at a place called Skydive to Land, which is near Daytona Beach. It's a major international training center. Um, a lot of the main manufacturers, the big equipment manufacturers, are based there. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, that's where I did most of my jumps. I I did travel around a lot. So you were talking about Flight One. I actually developed my own training program for experienced jumpers. So for people who'd already gone through their basic training and wanted to learn more, um, I basically developed this set of courses and started doing them into land where I was working, kind of just a part time thing, and it really took off. And I started getting invitations. Started getting phone calls from people who ran parachute centers in Ohio and Massachusetts and Texas. Hmm. And they're saying, hey, we heard about what you're doing. Can you come out here and, you know, run a camp for us? So I started doing these weekend camps, flying out to, you know, all these different places. So, yeah, I ended up traveling a lot for – it was about three or four years. I did a lot of traveling, um, jumped all over the U.S., went to uh, a couple of different places in Europe. I went to Australia, went to Canada. So. Wow. Yeah, I've been to uh, South America a few times, jumped down there. That's a good gig. And they would just pay you, like, hey, well, we got your flights. We pay you to come up here and yeah, yeah. And teach, right. teach courses for a weekend to our students, yeah, or to our, so. our jumpers, our experienced jumpers. And get to do your hobby and, yeah. and get to do the thing you really love. I, yeah. I was just going to say that, yeah, you get paid to do, like, you're literally doing what you love to do. I said it first, though. So. You did. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you get full marks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's yeah, that's really cool. So, like I said, I'll put the, I'll put the link in there if people want to check out what that's about. Do mm-hmm. you still do it now for leisure? I have not made a jump in a long time. It's been over 10 years since I made a jump. Okay. Um, yeah, I kind of stepped, I got, honestly, I got burned out on it. You know, it was, it was what I did for fun. My whole social life revolved around skydiving. It was what I did for work. And it's really interesting. Like I know some people who made their first jump when they were 18 or 19 
and they're like in their 60s, 70s and still doing it, still, still going, going strong. Yeah, going hard. But most of those people, I think the people I see doing it that way, they've got other things in their life that they're doing that, you know, they take a break from skydiving. Like they'll take a couple months off from skydiving and go – like I, I know a, a guy I know is a – a guide on the Colorado river, like the in the grand Canyon. Nice. And he'll go out and run these tours for people where they take them on a raft and take them down the Colorado river through the grand Canyon. It's a blast. And like, that's his, he, you know, I can remember him taking off for a couple months in the summer and going and doing that. So I think the people who really stick with it a long time, you know, they find something else like that, that recharges their batteries. And I just never did that. So I really burned out on it. And, uh, and stepped away for a while. And it's kind of funny because every once in a while I've, I've thought about making a jump. I think, if I was to get back into it, I would want to go hardcore again. You know, it'd be really hard to just do it like once a month or something. So okay, I was gonna say what's hardcore, but just doing it more often. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, I was jumping pretty much every day. I mean, I would make it, and you know, you said like average two hundred jumps a year. There were some years where I did fewer than two hundred jumps. There was, I think, the most I ever did in a year was about a thousand jumps. Um, but I was, you know, it was my for a while it was my full time job, so I'd be jumping at least you know once or twice a day. Five, six days a week sometimes. Wow, that's plenty. Plenty. Yeah. A thousand of plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so you go from skydiving to – and now you worked at a, at a tiger reserve? Yeah. That's so I, I moved here to North Carolina from Florida and um, was still skydiving for maybe about a year after I left Florida. And then decided to just step away. I wanted to do something else with my life. I wasn't sure what. <laughs> that was like a big – I'm just picturing you like hitchhiking down a road – and here's this tiger playing. You know, <laughs> like, hey, you need a job guy? Like, sure, I'll come in and feed the tigers. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. I, I actually started volunteering there. A friend of mine brought me there and I started volunteering there and was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea. You know, I just kind of left Scott off behind and said, I don't know what I want to do next, but I want to do something different. So I started volunteering at this place, and they um, there was an opening for their volunteer coordinator, which is a really small staff, and like most of the people on staff are animal care experts, right? They what have, happened to you know, the previous coordinator? In. That would have been my first question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so his wife actually got a different job in a different place, and they were moving out of state. And so uh, he said, hey, you know, you maybe think about applying for the job. So I did and, and got the job and joined the staff there, and I became the volunteer coordinator. Okay. Yeah, so I was not dealing directly with the animals. I was – Training the people who help take care of the animals. I, I was hoping for more of a Joe Exotic story where right. you're sleeping with the tigers and the. I was bunnies. helping birth the cubs. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> right. no. This is this is a really yeah. You mentioned that Joe Exotic. This uh, place is called Carolina Tiger Rescue. It's actually not too far from here. Not it's, you know thirty minutes from Raleigh, and it, they're a an accredited sanctuary. They're a very you know reputable place. No contact facility. You don't touch the animals. Um, even the staff doesn't touch the animals. They're not, you know, raising any cubs or anything. They're okay. they're they're there to take you know take good care of the animals. The animals come first. Yeah. Um. So it was a really cool place to work, just partially for that reason. Um. They started as a captive breeding facility. There was a guy named Michael Blyman who was a professor at UNC, and he started it as a captive breeding facility for exotic, well, like basically wild carnivores, right? Okay. Um. So a lot of them were cats from Africa and South America that people have never heard of. Um. That he was raising there. And then there was kind of things changed. There was really no longer a need for him to be breeding animals there. So he stopped the breeding program and started rescuing because people were contacting him. They knew what he was doing. They were contacting him and saying, hey, I've got this tiger that I bought as a cub. And now it's like 200 pounds (laughs) and tried to eat me yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) So he started rescuing. And then that's how the organization grew into what they are today. who, Who charges who in that scenario? He charges them, I hope. Well, um, yeah, like, there's <laughs> right. no like charge. There's no like money. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, just yeah. Okay, just yeah. do it for the cat. Yeah, yeah, All exactly. Right. They do it for the animals. In fact, when somebody surrenders an animal, they would make the person sign a contract saying that they'll never own or breed or deal with exotic animals again because they don't want to become a dumping ground for the pet trade. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really, you know, when you hear about what goes on with these animals, you know, you, you see like the YouTube videos of the guy with their pet lion and they're there like hugging the lion and scratching the lion behind the ears. I mean, everybody thinks those videos are cool, but when you see what actually happens in the pet trade, like the animals that we get coming in that somebody has kept in their backyard, right? In a, like we literally took a couple animals in that were living in a junkyard, like literally living among trashed cars. It was horrible. 
And so, you know, they really at this at the 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 accredited sanctuaries, the reputable places, they're trying to make sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. They're in an environment that they're native to, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like at, at the, you know, this place, Carolina Tiger Rescue, all the enclosures are like an acre or more for each animal. Um, and they're, they're big chain link fence enclosures. So you walk in, wow. you may not even see the animal when you first walk in. Cause they're like back behind the bushes somewhere or laying on top of their, you know, little and shed. You're, you're walking between the enclosures. There's a space where you kind of walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool place. There are nice trails. You walk along and all the tours are guided. So you'll have a tour guide with you who will, you know, talk about the animals, explain, you know, where they're not, they're naturally from, um, talk a little bit about the particular animal, where it came from the animal story. But yeah, they're in big, very natural enclosures. You know, it's all grass and trees and a cool place for them to hang out. How far away is that from here? It's so Carolina Tiger Rescue is in Pittsburgh, and you can go on their website. It's carolinatigerrescue.org. And you do have to sign up to take a tour. Don't just show up and say, hey, I want to see the animals. You got <laughs> you to go on their website, buy tickets. That's basically how they fund their operation is through the, the ticket sales for the tours and donations. Okay. You know, they're a nonprofit. And yeah, so that's how they're, they're taking care of the animals. But it's a really cool I'll place. toss that in there. We'll give them a little plug in the, uh, in the show description. We'll, you know, in case anyone's interested in checking it out, that might be a good – Even just like, donating. Or just yeah. donating, yeah. It could just be a good day trip too. I mean <sighs> – like when I go to the zoo, like that's what you want. You want to see the the animals that you're not going to see, right? You know, yeah. So that's cool. North Carolina Zoo is a cool place too. They're they're a, they're a, a good you know a very um, reputable zoo. They're in Ashboro. It's a little yeah, bit yeah. of a drive from we've here. We've been out we've been out there a little a couple times. I love that place. But nice. Okay. Um. So yeah. So those two things I find interesting, and that's mm-hmm. not even what you what you're doing now full time. So <laughs> so now that we got we got past some of the some of the background of you, right? I referred to you earlier as a, as a time management coach, but I feel like I'm, I'm saying that incorrectly. So what? That, no, I think it's works. fine. It's, it's a big part of what I do. Time management is a big part of what I've been focusing on for the past few years. Um, just because I think there's so much, so much need for it. You know, I mean, how many people do you hear say, like, I've got so much to do and there's never enough time to do it? Or like, I work all day and I feel like I never get anything done, you know? Yep. Um, and especially everybody. people in leadership positions, managers, entrepreneurs, you know, you got somebody who just started their own company and now they're wearing a bunch of different hats and they've got all these things they're trying to juggle and fit into their day. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of need for it. I find a lot of interest in it. I think you're right about that. I think that all of us, like expect when you have, whether it's work related, like you're saying, or families trying to juggle activities with kids, things like that. So I guess, um, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what? So where do you where do you start with that without revealing whatever you can't reveal? I don't know, but so where do you start with that? If I come to you and I say, "Listen, I got too many kids in the house. I got a podcast I'm trying to put together. I work a full time job. I'm stressing out with my time. Like, how do you like? What's your approach? I mean, I, I'm sure it's different for everybody based on what they do, but yeah, just just um, you know, ship the kids away to a relative so you can spend more time on your podcast. Done. That's okay. the solution. Let me write that down. Yeah, That's write that perfect. down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let's just try the first part out. See how that works. Yeah. And then we're we'll... just spitballing ideas here. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, like that's a common thing. You have a lot of people who are trying to juggle, you know, all different responsibilities, family responsibilities and whatever job they have and maybe a side gig. Um, you know, what I do, the kind of coaching I do, and there are different types of coaching, right? There are coaches who they have some kind of like program that they're going to put you through. And they're going to teach you things. Um, some coaches are kind of like, uh, you know, they're kind of like an expert. They're going to give you their expert advice. They're kind of more like a consultant. Okay. Um, the coaching I do, I call it client-centered coaching because it's really based on the idea that you're the expert. You're the expert in your life and what you want to accomplish. And so a lot of what I do, it's like if you ever heard of the Socratic method where you just ask a lot of questions – like sometimes I even say I'm, I'm like a professional five-year-old. You know, if you're around a five-year-old kid, they ask a lot of questions, and it gets to be a lot sometimes. So I'm not quite you know as annoying as five-year-old kids can be. Yeah, but sometimes. you have to figure out the like who you're talking to. If some right. stranger exactly. like I have a problem, fix me. Like you can't, you don't have the easy button, right? You got to right. figure out what the yeah, and you can give somebody a bunch of advice, and they may not follow any of it, or it may not be useful to them. So yeah, I try to figure out, and and one one of the most important things I've learned about time management is. Everybody's a little different. Like we're all human. We all have a lot in common as human beings, but we all think differently. We see the world a little differently and we solve problems differently, right? right? And so because of that, well, so a lot of what I do is I try to help people develop their own system of time management. And we'll talk about like, what have you already tried? What's worked for you? What doesn't work for you? Try to, you know, and a lot of what I'm doing is really just kind of reflecting back what people are saying, you know, and getting them to 
kind of take a look at what they already know and what they're already doing in a different way so that, you know, sometimes it's, it's helping them figure out their own solutions that they already kind of have a little bit of an idea of, but it kind of, it hasn't fully developed. Um, and I'll suggest things. I'll say, Hey, why don't you try this? But it's always an experiment. You know, and that's what I really yeah. try to emphasize to people is if you're trying to change your habits, if you're trying to come up with a new way of managing your time, treat it like an experiment. You know, we all want the easy button, right? We all want to just open up the app, click the button and have it fix all our problems. But really with things like this, you, 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 you have to be willing to give it a little time to try different things, see what works for you. And you can actually come up with a whole system or a style of managing your time, like a set of tools that work for you and your life and what you're trying to accomplish. So that's, that's kind of like the foundation of what I do. Okay. On your podcast, because I had mentioned off the air that we had um, – I had listened to a few of your podcasts. You always end your podcast with this question. I wanted to ask you this question. Uh, and you know it's coming. And I want you to actually mention your podcast and everything. I'll leave that to you. But what is your dream right now? Yeah, my dream right now uh, – that's a good question. Thank you for asking. It's only fair because I always ask people that at the end of my podcast. My dream is to do work that I enjoy doing be able to help people in some way, feel like I'm, I'm contributing something meaningful to the world and, you know, spend time with my wife so that we're both living a life together that we enjoy. Well played, by the way. Good job. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. That's my number one that. dream. I'd say, I'd say that first. <laughs> yeah, she'll, she'll listen to this. She'll appreciate that. Hi, Lauren. Um, but also, and then other than that, just spend as much time as I can having fun. Because I've realized that that's what's important to me. Having fun is really important to me. And I think like there, it's a valuable goal to have. It's a perfectly fine goal to have. Absolutely. So I'm addicted to windsurfing right now. Okay. And I do it here like at the local lakes, Jordan Lake or Falls Lake. So I just – I want to get out to the lake every chance I have and get on the water and windsurf. So that's kind of it. That's my dream. Awesome. I love it. You're right. Having fun is not a bad, is not a bad goal. It's not a bad ideal to do every day. So Right. Right, and I apologize we didn't get to the the podcast piece yet. So that was a that was a good sweat segue. Good. I wanted to kind of hit that real quick too. Yeah, um, your podcast is called Task Time and Energy. Task Time Energy, the Task purpose time. filled productivity podcast. There you go. Okay, so you've been doing that for just over a year, I think, right? Yeah, started about a year ago in March 2022. Okay, so what led you to that? And I, I ask these questions because you know, as a new podcaster, I like to kind of see where people's mindset were, and you know when you when you started that out. So clearly you had something to offer. This was probably coaching related for business related purposes too. So you're able to talk to people and, and kind of get their takes on like what you what you can do for them or talk about what you can do for other people. So so I guess my question here is like so how do you how do you track down your guests for like are you just randomly looking on like Facebook or you got experts in the industry that you say, hey, you know, you'd be a good guest, come on on. Like how how much uh you know handshaking and baby kissing you have to do to get get people on your show? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, not much handshaking and baby kissing, actually. <laughs> it's I've been good. really fortunate. A part of it is because I've had some interesting careers and interesting experiences. I've met some interesting people through skydiving, through the tiger rescue, through you know other things that I've done. And so I realized when I got the idea for this podcast, I just started thinking of different people who might make interesting guests. And I just came up with a list of people I already knew. Mm-hmm. And already had a connection with and just, you know, just started emailing people, calling people and asked them if they wanted to be on the podcast. And fortunately, a lot of people said yes. Good. So most of the people that I've had as guests are people um, that I've just I've known for a while or, you know, known for a long time or at least a short while. Other people are, um, you know, there's a couple people I met through LinkedIn. I just saw what they were doing, their work that they were doing, and it was there was a connection to to what the theme of the podcast. And the podcast is very generally about time management. Um, some people come on and talk a little bit about like what's been difficult for them and how they've overcome those challenges. Some people give tips and suggestions, but a lot of it is just about like the basic question of how do we spend our time doing things that we find meaningful and valuable. Right? How do we become satisfied with the way that we're using our time? So it's interesting to talk to people who've accomplished some pretty incredible things in their life and are able to talk about you know, how that's worked for them, like what, what's allowed them to accomplish the things they've accomplished. And yeah, I've had a, few, a, a, a number of people reach out to me actually and say, hey. To come on, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's, that's been helpful too. That's, uh, that's a good feeling when that happens too. So, but it makes it easier when you know people – Already, I think it makes the conversation that's going to make that flow a little bit because you have some background. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've, I've had a mixture around here. I've had a lot of people that I know, but I've, I'm leaning more into now having strangers on, like I call you a stranger, but you know, now we're best stranger friends. Stranger danger. But yeah, <laughs> but you know, just to get to know people, that's, that's, that's part of what we're doing here, right? It's just to learn different walks of life, how people do the things that they do. Yeah. And that's been, a, that, I, that's part of what I've really enjoyed about doing the podcast is just the conversations that I've had with people. I mean, I've genuinely yeah. enjoyed every conversation I've had on the podcast and which makes it really cool to share it with other people too. Right. Yeah. Um, but also just, you know, I've learned new things about my friends that I didn't know before or people I've worked with learned things about them. I didn't know before, you know, they've shared interesting stories that I'd never heard before. So yeah, I think that's, that's part of the a cool opportunity about having a show like this is you just get to have cool conversations with people and then sharing with other people. Yeah. yeah. I like getting people on here for the first time. So they're all nervous cause they've never done a podcast before. And I, I could probably count half a dozen at least. And they're like, I don't know, man. Like it's, you know, I'm kind of nervous. And I tell them, and, and you've probably experienced the same thing. You know, once you, once you get going five, 10 minutes in, you forget there's a microphone in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like you said, you're just having a conversation. You're just kind of shooting the shit. You're just doing your thing. If they're talking about something that they love, like you're talking about skydiving and, you know, tigers and everything. Like these are things that you're clearly passionate about. You know, it's, nothing's forced, you know? So yeah. I love when people come on and they talk about what they enjoy doing. That's why I enjoy what I do is to hear them. You know, it motivates me in, a, in just a just a little bit. You end up having to cut them off. You know, like, hey, listen, we're we're going to run out of time here. Like, we need you to land that plane, <laughs> as, as we like to say. You know, That's uh, right. because they forget about the mic and they just get going to get up that momentum. So, yeah, monologuing, we monologuing, call that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say this to all of our casual listeners. Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier that I've listened to a few of your your episodes, and for me, I have the mentality of like I used to, I always do this with books as well. If I read one kind of frivolous fun book, I like to try to read something that's a little more related to what we do for work. Um, so I do the same thing with the podcasts, and I've slid you into the into my podcast repertoire as like something that's like this is something that is a you know either motivational or you know uh, you know character building, whatever you want to call it. That uh, it's not a it's not a frivolous fun. podcast podcast where I'm laughing the whole time. It's something I'm listening to somebody's good story or something. Somebody grew somehow and I'm listening to their to their journey and I'm, and maybe I can incorporate it into into my journey somehow. So uh, to all of our, again, all of our casual listeners, I would give it a listen. Yeah, cool. That's good to hear. I don't, you know, I don't think, I, we try not to make it too serious. Um, we try to have some fun, you know. Oh, absolutely. But I think it is my, what I hope um, out of anybody who listens to the podcast is it gives them, gives them something to think about. You know, yeah. like if somebody says that to me, if somebody says, oh, I listened to an episode of your podcast and it really gave me some things to think about, then I'm super happy. Like, I think that's, that's more than I could hope for. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, it's no good problem. To well, I like to think too, on the same line of what Sean was saying was, you know, you want to listen to something and you, I, I kind of relate uh, a lot of podcasts to you. Uh, if you ever, if you ever go to church, you know, you got the, the pastor or whatever is giving some sermon and, you know, he's talking to whatever, a couple hundred people, whatever's in the room. And the story means something a little different to everybody that's hearing it. Uh, and that's what I love about shows like yours, too, is that they're going to tell a story about, like, just just you talking about the passion of things you like. You know, you listen to that and you say, oh, like, I start thinking, oh, what's something I really like to do? You know, what's something that Sean likes to do? Like, how can I, how can I do that more often? You know, how can we get into those spaces? So you just start thinking, like, well, if, if Scott can do it, I can do it. You know what I mean? And now you just mm-hmm. got to find that, find that path, you know? I think one of the fun things, too, is, like, I've had – Kate Cooper Jensen on my podcast, who's a world champion, multi-world record holder skydiver, right? And so she's got, you know, on there talking about skydiving. You know, so I've had people who've done things that people would consider very adventurous, but I've also had people that I think um, a lot of us can relate to, like my friend Elizabeth, who, you know, she got divorced, was raising three kids, working full-time, and trying to finish her education, trying to finish up her bachelor's degree. And she talks about how she had to juggle all these different responsibilities that she had and make all these puzzle pieces fit together. Mm. And it's just a really cool conversation. I think a lot of people can relate to that. That's I mean, real life yeah, right there. Really yeah, sure. So it's nice to have a mix of people, some people who are kind of wild and out there and have had you know, kind of out there experiences, Yeah. Um, and then other people who are just more talking about their everyday life that I think a lot of people can relate to. So it's super fun. I dig it. I dig it. So do you use any sort of, uh, so when you're, when you're coaching with folks, right? Sorry to circle back from the fun stuff here. Nope. But, <laughs> no, just kidding. But so when you're, when you're coaching your folks, is there a particular like, like application or technology? It's like, Hey, you should use Excel or you should use this project application. Is there something on there that people make lists with? I mean, I don't know if you, uh, sponsored by something like that, or is it just pen and paper? Are we old school in it? How, how we do? 
Um, yeah, so I, I came up with this idea that I'm, I imagine like somebody else has maybe talked about this before, but maybe not. I call it the paper principle. Okay. So the idea is like anytime you're sitting almost anywhere, you could look around and probably see like three computers. You know, you got your laptop, you got your phone, you got your smartwatch on, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, like we were, I was on vacation with my, my family. It was six of us. It was my wife and I, it was her sister, her sister's husband, their kid, and then my wife's mom. And we were all together at the beach, at this beach house. And I remember like sitting in the living room and looking around and thinking, like looking at all the laptops and tablets and phones. <laughs> and I'm thinking like we have more technology, more computers in this room than a medium-sized company would have owned in total like not long ago, right? right. So, But the reason that computers are so common and so popular is because they let us do things. They do things faster or easier than we could do with paper. I mean, think about if everybody you had to email every day, you had to like write out a letter on paper and like lick the envelope and stick the stamp. Like, I, that would I be wouldn't crazy. talk to anybody. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the idea is what I tell people is if you can do something faster and easier on paper than you can do with a computer, do it on paper. Because the whole reason we use a computer is because it's supposed to be faster or easier or let us do something that we can't do with paper. And I think when you start thinking about it that way, you start thinking about what's the simplest, most straightforward, easiest way for me to do this. Is it opening up Excel or is it just grabbing a pen and paper? And there are a lot of the, almost all of the time management like tools and techniques that I, I would I would teach someone or suggest they use can be done with pencil and paper. Okay. Um, if you anybody if you've seen or you've read Ryder Carroll's Bullet Journal, Bullet Journal Method, pretty popular book. He's got a website. And it's all based on paper. It's all with a, a paper journal. And he's a big pro, you know, proponent of doing things on paper. And there's a lot of advantages to it. There are some really good apps out there. And sure. there are some apps. So if somebody says, yeah, I'm using this app and I really like it, I'll say, perfect, use it. Let's, let's, let's figure out how to help you use that better. Okay. So I'm not anti-app. I'm not anti-technology at all. <laughs> um, the app that I use the most is, so I use a Mac and it's called Task Paper. Okay. And it's literally like one of the simplest text editors you can imagine. You can like type stuff in and delete stuff and copy and paste and move stuff around. And like, that's it. But to me, it simulates what I can do on paper. And there's no bells and whistles. Because I think some of the apps, they get really complicated. And then you have to invest time in learning how to use them. And yeah, for, all the, the 17 icons across the top. What do they all do? Right. right. And for somebody who's already procrastinating and already feeling overwhelmed – that is not the answer, right? <laughs> That's so funny. I, I completely feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> now that you just pointed it out, everything, I'm like, man, there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. So if you find an app that's really good, like I'm always asking people, what apps do you use that you really like and really find useful? I'm always interested in hearing that. I mean, there are some good ones out there. There are some really good apps that work well for collaboration. So if you're talking about a team, right? You're a manager leading a team. Yeah. You're running your own company. You've got a bunch of people working for you and you need apps that you can use to collaborate, like to share tasks and share to-do lists and share projects. Yeah. Absolutely, there's some excellent apps for that. But just on a personal level, if you're not sharing with anybody, like pen and paper works great. I, I do a little bit of that. I mean, I got a notebook in front of me. I'm, I'm taking notes down. But I do that usually as the as the weekend gets closer. I start thinking like, okay, what do I want to accomplish this weekend? Usually podcast related, but there's also a partial honey-do list mix in there too. Like, oh, mm -hmm. have I got to change the, the – air filters, you know, something like that. Or what, what am I shopping for this weekend? Yep. You know, so I keep a list. It's actually right over here. So you can see I've already crossed off some things, right? Yeah. Right so, um, but at work, we use a lot of like, we do a lot of collaboration. That's a good, that's a good point because we collaborate where we're using, you know, Teams or Asana or things like that. So you get a lot of those apps out there, but um, on a personal level, I like it. So yeah. And some of the apps like Asana, you said, are really great for that, for their teams, for the collaboration aspect. Yeah. yeah. And that's where they really shine. Um, it's interesting. Can I give another plug real quick? Please. So if people are interested in this kind of stuff, I've been I've been doing, I just did one today, but I've been doing a free uh, time management workshop, one hour online time management workshop. I'm doing it like once a month. Okay. It's called Task Time Energy, the workshop. And uh, you can go on my website, um, scottmillercoaching.com, and there's usually uh, right on the homepage, there's a link you can you can go to and sign up for the next workshop. Yeah, people who are interested in this kind of stuff that we're talking about, it's free, hour of your time. I try to do it like on, you know, 12, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. So when hour. you do those things, though, this kind of gets back to an, like an earlier question, right? So let's just say you have 10 people in this workshop, and I don't mm -hmm. know the numbers, right? Because I'm ignorant about it. I'm thinking it's going to be pretty generic with the advice that you give because everyone's going to have their own different story. So you have to become you have to become that pastor giving that sermon to say 
like to speak to all these people so that they're hearing what you're saying and they're relating it to their daily problems or mm-hmm. scheduling problems or whatever. Yeah, and that connects back to what we were talking about earlier about how everybody is going to have a little bit different approach. Yeah. And I just say that right at the beginning of the workshop. This is, you know, the the whole point of it is to help people start thinking about ways to develop their own personal time management style or system. So I'm going to throw some ideas out. I'm going to show you a few techniques. I'm going to show you a few tools and share some ideas mainly for you to try these things out, see which ones work, and then start you thinking in that direction of how do you put together some different tools in like a simple way, right? Maybe the simplest way possible, Okay, but come up with a system that's going to work for you. Do you get a lot of um, like pushback from people? Like, so people you've coached and you're like, Hey, I need you to make this change. This is where you're having problems. And they're just so stuck in their ways. They're like, no, I can't, I can't stop doing this piece. And I don't know, like, I don't want to see you give up on people, but is there ever a situation where they're just hard headed and like, I'm not changing these things. Don't make me change these. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I think what, what I find the most is people will just not do something. They'll they'll yes you to death. And then when you're done, they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. They'll just say, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. And then you, you know, come back next week and they say, no, I haven't done that. And you know, like, and like, I'm not like I'm coaching adults, right? Like I'm not your mom. I'm not going to sit there right. and look over your shoulder. Like people ask for that sometimes. People will say, oh, you know, I want somebody who's going to hold me accountable. I want somebody I can check in with every day. <laughs> and I don't know if that works really well. Like if you, because if you need somebody looking over your shoulder that much, maybe you're not that invested in what you're doing or we haven't found the right tool for you. So a lot sure. of what I'm trying to do is get people to feel really self-sufficient and, you know, energized and excited about whatever it is. And that's that's why more rather than giving people a lot of advice and saying, hey, here's my system, here's my method, here's how, what worked for me, so do this because, of course, it will work for you. It doesn't always work as well. Rather, let's say, like, what, what you know, let's come up with some ideas. Let me, let me help you create some ideas that are going to work for you, Yeah, that you're going to be invested in. You know, because, honestly, the best way to get somebody to do something is to have it be their own idea or at least have them think it's their own idea, right? Sure. And then people are motivated to do it. Yeah, that's true. So I guess I'm wondering too, like what is the common, I don't know if this is the right term, we'll call them like time wasters, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got to see some kind of common problems that people have. It's going to be like a, a common denominator in some cases. Like is it, oh, I couldn't get to this because I'm addicted to Netflix or, you know, whatever the case is. Like is there is there one common like distractor or time waster that, that you see with people? The the two that come to mind first, yeah, one is technology, of course, like, you know, people who are just stuck on their phones. And I can get that way too. Like I have to make a real effort to not be glued to my phone more than mm-hmm. is really healthy for me. Um and I think that's that's something a lot of people struggle with. And I think there are some tools and, you know, ways to to navigate that. But that's something you just it's really important to be aware of is is how much time are you spending on whatever, pick your poison, right? Whatever site you're interested in, Reddit or Facebook or whatever it is. And is that really satisfying or is it just, sometimes I call it zombie time, right? Like, are you really getting something out of it? Are you really enjoying it or are you just sitting there spacing out, right? Yeah, just killing time. Just killing time, yeah. And would you rather be doing something else with that time? And the other thing is, I think the other, on the kind of the other end of the spectrum is people get overwhelmed. I think that's a real big issue is, People take on a lot of responsibility, especially people who really want to accomplish a lot. They want to do a good job. And people just get really overwhelmed because it's like everything is 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 important. I think people have a hard time prioritizing. People have a hard time letting go of things that actually aren't adding that much value in their life. And that's so that's a really important thing that I, I help people with often is figuring out what is important. You know, you only have X number of hours a day. So what do you want to spend it doing? I run into that at, at- Excuse me. I run into that at work a little bit too, where you know there's a list of things to do, and I keep it running. I use I use my Teams, and I said, okay, here's a list of to do. And then what happens is, and this is the problem with technology, is that if I close that document, and then I come in the next day, and I'm something else distracts me, and then it might be a few days, and I'm like, oh, where's that list? Oh, here's the list. Like, oh, I probably should have been doing this two days ago, and trying to trying to prioritize exactly that. Like, who's asking for what? What can I get them? Sometimes it's uh it can be overwhelming sometimes, and, and and I'm sure that's across the board in everyone's job on a personal level for me, which is why I'll do my personal list because I'm not going to come home and open up whatever document and say, what did I do? I'm going to write it down, you know, and it's going to sit here right in front of me. So whenever I walk into this room where we are, like, I'm like, okay, what am I working on? Because I'll forget. That's the other thing too. Like I'll literally put on my list like, oh, I have to go to, you know, go to the store and I got to get groceries for this or, you know, something's got to get picked up. So got to just remember, you know. 
yeah. not getting any younger over here. So, well, that's um, a really good point, Mark. It's like, what are you actually going to use, right? Yeah. Like, is it an app that you forget to open or forget to look at? Yeah, or is it's, pre- it the, it's pretty. Yeah, but it's is it pretty the, closed? <laughs> is it the piece of paper sitting on your desk that is right there that you're going to look at that you reach for every time? Yeah, right. Like, what are you actually going to use? And let's figure out how to use that the best. Yeah, right? that's where those post-it notes come. I mean, before all the apps and as much technology we have now, like there was screens with post-it notes just all around the edges for either reminders or I mean, people would put their passwords on it, which wasn't great. But uh, <laughs> but that's that's where you're saying like what's more what's more effective a post-it note sitting there on your screen or the app that you have to pick up your phone to find in yeah. some situations probably the post-it note. Yeah. And I think it's good to try to minimize things. Like if you are using Asana and you have a notebook, like let's try not to add the post-it notes too on top of that if we can, if we can avoid sure, that, sure. right? Yeah. You got three um, different lists. A, yeah. yeah. Try have to consolidate. System. But yeah. Have, yeah, have a system and try to see fine ways to streamline the system because yeah. that can add to overload too when you're just – you forget where to look. Like where did I put that? Did I put it in that note, in that folder on my computer? Is it in my email? Is it on my calendar? Right? That gets kind of crazy too. Yep. So it sounds like with – your time management coaching is really you're shedding light on people's tendencies, their habits, maybe what they think is helping them so that they can then maybe come to their own realization of what actually is helping them and maybe the the changes they may want to make. Yeah, I think shining a light is a really good description of it. Um, I, I think a lot of what people find helpful is just when I find ways to help them be more aware of things that they weren't realizing or seeing things in a way that's different from the way they were looking at it. Um, that just, you know, seeing things in a different light can be really helpful. Like a lot of times what I'll tell someone is we're going to look at what you want to accomplish, whatever it is, like whatever your goal is, whether this is time management, coaching, leadership, coaching, whatever other kind of coaching I do, we're going to look at what you want to accomplish and try to get really crystal clear on that. Like be really specific about exactly what it is that you want. And then we try to get a better understanding of your current situation. Like what, advantages, what tools, what skills do you already have that you can leverage to, to achieve that goal? Mm. And then once you have a good understanding of your current situation and what you want to achieve in the future, then we're just connecting from A to B and coming up with a plan that will get you from where you are now to where you want to go. But a lot of it is just helping people be more aware of kind of what's already in front of them or what they're already somewhat aware of, but being clearer about it or just looking at it in a different way. Yeah. So very much what you were saying. That's great. I think, yeah, I think awareness is, is a, is a good term. You know, I listen to like, you know, to get back to like other podcasts I listen to some of that, some of like the, the motivational or the, the leadership type, like speeches that people will give the things they talk about. It's not all new. Like it's things you know about already, but just the way they phrase it, the way they word it and the way that it, they twist it so that it means something to you. And then you can turn that and say, Oh, how could I apply that to my, job or family or whatever else. So, but, but that's, but not everyone knows how to do that. That's the thing. You know, I could sit here and try to coach Sean how to be a good leader, but like, that's not going to get us anywhere. You know what I mean? But you could do it. You you know what I mean? Because you'll, you, you just have a, there'll be a certain way that it has to be done so that. Yeah, it is. And I I went through an eight month coach training course to learn how to do this and um, went through accreditation through the International Coaching Federation. And it is, there is definitely a set of skills involved in doing this in a way that where in an hour session, you can make that hour-long conversation as helpful as possible for the person. Okay. Um, and not just kind of dragging your own garbage in and, you know, or yeah. going off on tangents, but really trying to keep it, learning how to really keep it focused on the person and ask them questions that are going to help move them along whatever path they want to go on. So, yeah, there's there's definitely some skill involved in it. I really I'm, enjoy it. I'm guessing that, like, the successful, like, sports coaches probably take those courses. If you think about some of the great coaches out there that are just good motivators, good leaders, you know, I mean, maybe they just were born with that and good for them if they were, but I think that everybody needs, I mean, even Michael Jordan had a coach, you know what I mean? Everybody needs a coach here and there just to kind of keep them in that right, the right path. Yeah. And because I have somewhat of a sports background, I, I, I compare it to that a lot. It's like, you know, an athletic coach, Michael Jordan, you know, um, Usain Bolt, whoever has their coach, coach is going to help them understand what their current strengths are. Like that's a big part of it. Not just what you want to improve, but what are your current strengths? What are you already doing well? What are the most effective improvements you can make? And then like whatever your goal is, is your goal to, you know, win a national championship? Is your goal to make it to the Olympics? Is your goal to win an Olympic gold medal, to set a new world record? So we figure out exactly what the goal is. And then working with those strengths in those areas that need improvement, 
you reach that goal. And what what I do as a coach and what other coaches, other people who coach, you know, the same way that I do, what we're doing is basically the same thing, except it's not an athletic goal. It's not getting to the Olympics or winning a gold medal. It's whatever you want to accomplish in your life. Yeah, exactly. I dig it. All right, Mark, I have a question for you because I was listening to to one episode of your podcast. Okay. um, And I I, I remember reading this somewhere too, I think. 90s movies. You're a Mm. fan of 90s movies. Is that correct? I am a fan of I am. So, like, I'm trying to think of some movies that I like from the 90s, and every movie I came up with is from, like, the 80s. I don't know why I have this mental block, but... That's because the 80s was better, but... <laughs> <laughs> 80s movies are okay, too. That's movies, perfect. Well, like, tell me some of your favorite 90s movies, because I, I need to know this. So, I mean, I mean, if you take... If you if you if if we just go genre, right, and this is the spitball, so you take any 90s action movies, I mean, you're talking about Stallone, Schwarzenegger, those... And I know that some of those were in the 80s, but right. some of the good ones in the 90s... You could go back through. I'm trying to think, like 92, 93. I think I think Jurassic Park was 93. Okay. Um, I liked personally some of like the B-side type movies. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched PCU, which is one of Jeremy Piven's early movies. It's funny. It's 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 a total uh, deep track, if you will. Like it's an awesome movie, but. Uh, we used to sit around a lot and uh, with VHS tapes and uh, shout out to Jake the Snake if you're listening, bro. We would that's what we would do. We'd watch movies, playing cards, and put that back in again, put that back in again, you know. And we just rewatch them through. So even I mean, you think about uh, Tom Cruise in the '90s, right? You could name 20 movies he was in. Bruce Willis, like this was some of the heyday of things. Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction was in the '90s, right? You got um, uh, I just have one on the top of my head. I was a big, I was a big. I hate to say this online, but I was a big Andrew Dice Clay fan too. So mm-hmm. he did a movie called Ford Failing, which is yes. one of my favorites. I can't find it anywhere, but we would watch that movie forever. Yeah, um, it just—it's so stupid too. If you watch it now, it's—it's it's a horrible movie, <laughs> but I love it and I'll, I'll watch it because I just have those memories of watching it with you know Jay or I don't know if Sean. Oh you yeah, we watched that a, a couple times, right? Yeah. So things like that. So I think that the movies in the '90s, and I think the reason I like them so much, and I we, we totally. Throw this conversation off a cliff, but you got me going. You know, there wasn't CGI back then, or at least not as much of it, right? So, um, and this this ties right into the most recent Indiana Jones movie, which I saw was pretty good, by the way. But if you go back to early 80s when this first couple, Spielberg's that type of director that, you know, he's making little sets like George Lucas, same thing. You know, so when you see these movies now, you, it's green screen, background, and I don't know how movies are made. I'm not in that field, but, you know, and it's great. I'm entertained. Don't get me wrong, but. Like the the true grind of making a movie back then, I think just brought out. Like I think it, it for today's day, we're I don't want to say we're lazy, but it's easier because same thing. You're on a computer, it's quicker, it's faster, you can do it. Where maybe '90s, beginning of the '90s, was more of your uh, uh, what you call the the paper principle, right? That was more of that. Like, hey, write that out. Let's let's figure this out. You're right. building a set. You're running through it. You got little models and uh, cheesy when you watch them now because we're kind of spoiled at this point, but. Our uh, we have a friend Pete. He's actually writing a a book about kind of that cinema science fi like technology progression. Yeah, Pete's awesome. Pete's awesome. So you see, you, I don't know if you could see it on the wall over here. I got this for Christmas. It's a hundred movies to watch. Yeah, and uh, it's actually a scratch off poster. So as you watch them, I haven't scratched any off yet, but I've watched some of these, and you scratch them off, and it's color underneath. So uh, my son got that for me. So we've watched a couple of them. I just haven't gone through. I've been writing down the ones that we've watched and the dates. So mm-hmm. I want to scratch it all off and it'll be fun. But he's hoping to get bingo. Yeah, I'm looking for bingo. <laughs> I need awesome. uh, twelve in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cool poster. Yeah. Was it like was the first Die Hard movie with Bruce Willis, was that the nineties? I was 80? trying to think of that. that I, I think it's late eighties. I'm pretty 80s, sure so. that was uh eighty four, maybe eighty six perhaps. It was <sighs> it was I think Hudson the, Hawk was nineties though, which was a good movie. He had a good run. What about the fifth element? With that, that's another Bruce that's a 90s movie. movie. That's a 90s yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 92, yeah. if one. I had to guess. Yeah. You know? uh, Chris um, Tucker. Chris Tucker. That was one of his, yep. in, my, in my book, like one of his breakout roles. Yeah, he's crazy. He's crazy in that movie. That was awesome. Because like I was trying to think about some of my favorite movies. Everything I came up with, even trying to think of the '90s, was all the '80s. Like Predator. No, that's '87. Yep. Um, although some of the later Predator movies were really cool too. Titanic is '90s. Titanic is '90s. Yeah, that's 90s. that's an epic. How like, dare you? <laughs> you know, like, CGI, but that's like really starting to get into more CGI. Yeah, with, with that one. Well, the whole thing with Titanic, though, whether you actually like like the movie or like ah snooze, but like that was a really epic movie, and like really had a big influence, I think, on on like filmmaking. So oh, I yeah. think there's some movies like that where like whether you liked it or not, 
like the impact that it had is pretty pretty wild to yeah. think about. I know? think what you see back in the day too is there was a bigger pool of actors that I think were hungry for movies. And, you know, again, no disrespect for the ones that are acting now, but when you think about, you go back to the 80s with the John Hughes time frame, you had mm-hmm. that Millie Westervez and Brad Pack. A, a young, the Brad Pack, young Robert Downey Jr. right now, he's, he's in another level now, but you just have a lot of, you know, different group then. And then going into the 90s, you had a movie like, I think, I think School Ties was out in the 90s, and that was the mm-hmm. beginning of like Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, mm-hmm. Affleck, um, Cole House, like you just had like this group of people, Chris O'Donnell, and then they, and and they just moved in all these movies and shows, and now they're in their what their fifties probably now, and a lot of them are still doing things, and that's awesome, you know, because you go back to the eighties and you see Tom Cruise, and they just, you know, he's he's kind of a freaking nature anyway, but but he's still putting out hits, you know, mm-hmm. so it's impressive to see that, and I don't know if maybe I'm just older, I'm just I watch some of these movies now, and I just think there's a lot of it's a little lazy because they're doing a lot of sequels, a lot of remakes, a lot of. You know, like, don't you dare remake the Goonies, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. don't, don't break the classic. You know, just just do a different movie and call it something different, and we'll call it a copycat. Let's take a really great 80s TV show and make a movie out of it. Uh, no, please no. don't. Yeah, please don't do that. Like, just, just stop doing these things. I, I miss a lot of the movies in the 90s. I love when HBO or Hulu or something has these movies on because I pass everything except that movie, and I put mm-hmm. it on, and it's usually on in the background. I, out of politeness, I didn't put one on today because we're talking to you. <laughs> but normally there'd be one on there as well. Just, just on. I don't care. If there's no volume. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But if if you get the chance to check out PCU, if you've never, uh, I would check it out. I actually would love to watch it now because I would love to see how it plays in today's culture and today's mm. the way we see things now with the way we talk to people and what we can and can't say to people. Uh, it's it's a movie about that, but how it was, you know, in the nineties. So yeah, yeah. it'd be weird so, to see. And Jeremy Piven is in, do you ever watch Entourage? I have seen Entourage. Yeah. So Jeremy Piven, Ari Gold is best, best character ever. Really? He's not quite that level, but this is the beginning of the Ari mm. Gold type of character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Yeah. So if you're a fan of him, then that's the movie you watch. I'm He's- disappointed that all this movie talk is going to get cut from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> all it's going to be is just this. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. In this episode of Movie Talk with yeah, Scott Miller. With Scott yeah. Miller yeah. <laughs> well, well, you could see why like we're, this was originally going to be a movie podcast because, yeah. you know, and this is like I said, I have no notes on this, but you, you give me 20 minutes, you know, we'll we'll pull some fact stuff out. You know, we'll, right. you know, we'll do some fact checking. But, yeah, I could do that all day long. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, Sean, anything uh, for you before we... Um, you know, uh, again, we're kind of all over the map now that we've covered some of the things we wanted to. We keep going <laughs> back to things. I didn't know if you don't, like, we can't actually cut this. Um, if you had any like fun stories, weird stories about you know, skydiving, and you mean you did so many jumps, you had to have somebody who something happened. Yeah, like I said, skydiving is kind of weird because people know a little bit about it. But in order to tell skydiving stories, you almost have to give like a little bit of backstory background. But like the one that I can think of that was um, doesn't require a lot of like technical understanding or anything like that was um, so it was when John Glenn. So it was one of the first original astronauts, right? I, for, I knew that one. I was going to say space. that. Yeah. <laughs> you um, raised your hand. I saw you raise yeah. your hand. <laughs> and he went back into space on the space shuttle. So this is when he was older. I think a senator became a senator. Um, I may be getting some of these facts wrong and, you know, struck down for that. But um, so he ended up uh, going back into space on a, on a space shuttle when he was much older. I think he was in his 70s sure, yeah. on this wow. shuttle flight. And so I was where I was living in DeLand was, you know, it's about 20 minutes inland from Daytona Beach. So if you're at like in, on Daytona Beach and you get on the highway and you drive 30 minutes or so, then you're in DeLand and you're driving right by the airport where we jumped. So if you look a little bit sat, like, you know, when you're in the air, when you're jumping out of the airplane from 13,000 feet, you can see Daytona Beach. You can see the whole Florida coastline. And a little bit south, you can see Kennedy Space Center. Like on a really clear day, you can see the vehicle assembly building. Wow. Um, and you, so you would see like launches really easy. And in fact, if we knew there was going to be like a, 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 a rocket launch, what they'll do is we'll take off in the plane and climb up and kind of circle around. And then there'll be somebody on the ground watching the countdown on the radio. Hmm. And they'll say, like, all right, T minus one minute. And then the plane turns on jump run and fly so that you're actually leaving the airplane right when the rocket launches. That's, oh, that's cool. awesome. 
So everybody, you know, like most people want to be in free fall and you have a photographer with you and you get cool pictures of you, you know, free fall with a rock in the background. But I was always into parachute flight. So like the parachutes that we use and have been used for like the last 40 years are like little gliders. Like you're not just drifting down like a big under a big umbrella. These things inflate and it's like a wing. It's an inflatable wing. And you have handles that you use to steer. Yeah. And so you can turn and dive and do all kinds of cool things. And, you know, you pull both handles down and flare the parachute and come in for like little tiptoe mm-hmm. landing and some of the more high performance ones are like they're like little rocket ships like it, this is part of what i loved about skydiving was being under one of these really high performance parachutes it's like star wars it's like you know flying a, an x-wing fighter or something from star wars That's I, mean, cool. I totally nerd out on that but so um we, there it was when john glenn was going back into space on this shuttle flight and it was the end of the day, you know, I was, I was working as a professional skydiver at the time. And my friend Rob was like, hey, you want to go like on the shuttle load? It's like, yeah, let's do it. And so everybody else left ahead of us and they were doing their free fall and getting their picture. But we left and right away at 13,000 feet opened our parachutes as soon as we left the airplane. Because we were just going to, you know, when you open your parachute right away, you can just float down and you're up there for, you know, five, ten minutes maybe. So we're just cruising down. And there's something that you can do with your parachutes. It's called canopy relative work. And people who aren't familiar with this and see it for the first time think it's crazy. Because basically what one person will do, once your parachutes are open, one person will fly their parachute up behind you and literally like put the, the front of their parachute, the nose of their parachute on your butt. And you grab their parachute and you put your feet in their lines and you fly around together with your parachutes open, but like holding on to each other. And so I'm like cruising around and, you know, watching the shuttle launch and all of a sudden i feel my friend robbie's parachute like hit me in the butt i'm like oh cool so i grabbed his parachute and we actually flew this you know they call it a a two stack and so we're cruising around under this two stack watching john glenn go back into space on the space shuttle like close to sunset and it was just it was one of those amazing moments like i almost want to say something out of a movie but it's 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 not even like out of a movie it's just so surreal and so unique and that was one of the things I loved about skydiving is just these moments, these little like snapshot moments of, and it's usually involves having a good time with, with one or more of your friends, right? Like that's yeah. one of the best things about skydiving is just a group of amazing people who are really in love with life and out having fun. Yeah. Just some, you know, amazing stories like that. But that's like the first thing that comes to mind. I love that story. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of goes back to your time management, not progress, procrastinating because you took advantage of an opportunity you didn't, you know, you didn't shy away from it. And now you have this wonderful, probably limited amount of people on the planet that could say they've done something like that, that type of memory. And what's yeah. cool is like not everyone's got dives, right? I don't know what percentage of the population. So you were able to do something that I could safely say that I'm probably never going to do, right? Unless I'm forced to, right? As <laughs> <laughs> the plane's on the fire or something, but, you know, knock on wood, I don't want to do that. Um, so that's kind of cool. Like, so you're in that smaller percentage of people that are able to do that is your cool thing. You know, if you'd say, hey, I took my my bike and I bunny hopped off the curb, like, well, I can do that. You know, (laughs) that's not as exciting, but whatever, right? You could barely do that. (laughs) It's probably true. I'd better wear a helmet. I can't. I I would bust my (laughs) ass. We can say ass, right? I would totally bust my ass trying to jump a curb on a bike. But yeah, like the thing about skydiving is I tell people, if you have any interest in doing it, yeah, try it if you want. If you don't have any interest in doing it, don't do it. Because as an instructor, I have taken people like on a tandem jump where you're hooked to the instructor. Yep, like yep. I've taken people who really didn't want to. It's like, oh, my friend's doing it or my wife's doing it. And so I got to go too. So I don't look, you know, and they're all worried about looking like a wimp or whatever. And like somebody who goes when they really don't want to, they're just doing it because somebody else is doing it and they really, really don't want to. They don't have a good time and your instructor is probably not going to be having a good time either, you know. So, like, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. There are lots of other awesome things you can do with your time yeah. that are great experiences. We'll see. I'm not quite at that level yet. <laughs> we watch, like, Amazing Race and stuff with the, like, bungee jumping. Right on. And, yeah. you know, my wife and I, we always like, oh, if we're on the show, like, you know, one person does the challenge, the other one's doing something else. So she's like, well, I'd have to do all the, the height stuff because, like, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know that I would do that. That would be... Totally outside my realm of, of comfort for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, listen, it was awesome having you on all the stuff we talked about. I have a lot of the the links. So we're going to put those in the show description so people can find you um, and just learn more about you. If they want to do that, we'll put the podcast, the Scott Miller coaching, the tiger uh, sanctuary, sanctuary tiger rescue, the yeah. rescue. Yep. I wrote that down right here. So we'll get those links in there too. So everyone will be able to, to find you and you know, if they have questions, they can do that. So thanks a lot, Scott. It was yeah. a pleasure yeah. to meet you. Thank y'all. It's been awesome. Any uh, any closing thoughts at all? You get it all out. 
Yeah, just you know, if you're interested in my podcast or these free workshops that I'm doing, scottmillercoaching.com. That's my website. You can go on there and, and get more information. Love to have people show up for the the uh, free man- time management workshops. Do them once a month, and love to have people check out my podcast because yeah, it's always it's always interesting to hear what people think about it. And uh, yeah, I've gotten to just have some amazing conversations with people and hear some really interesting stories. So, do you have the schedule on there? So, you, like, you have it planned out next couple of months? Yeah, so? it basically, I do it every other week. So usually they okay. come out on Thursdays every other week. Okay, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the plan. No, I meant the uh, the, the coaching. The, the oh, time the, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. I have not yet set up my schedule for the. I've, I've just kind of I've just started doing these every month. Okay, but there will be. Uh, there'll be. I'm gonna pick basically one day a month when I'm going to do this. It's going to be consistent. So you'll be able to see, okay, like I can't do it next month, but I know it's going to be on the 18th. So I'll do it the okay. month after. Yep. We'll, we'll have that set up. Maybe I'll see if I can get my book, my team in there. We'll come in and, and see how, see how that goes with them. That put some real life uh, experience to make you put your money where your mouth is. And we'll see if we can get these guys in shape. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah that's a great idea. And myself included, of course, you know, <laughs> awesome. All right, well, it's been awesome having you, man. Be sure to like, follow, share, and whatever else you want to do. So tell a friend. Tell a friend. Stay casual.